Welcome back. You're listening to Patriarch, the retelling of the biblical story of Abraham by me, Colin Piper. And I began the last episode by asking for your indulgence in case I'd over-egged a part of the story, which I love, uh, the, the telling of how uh, Rebecca is chosen as the bride for Isaac. But on reflection, you know, I don't think I have over-egged it. I'm just telling uh, what the Bible tells, and it just reveals more of the romantic heart of God. So we carry on this uh, maybe not over-action-packed part of the story, but a beautiful one. Patriarch, Chapter 8, Part 5 The servants cooked in outside ovens, directed by the women of the house, while the men lounged in anticipation. All was normal and well. Then the peace and subsequently the meal were ruined. Rebecca burst through the gate, accompanied by a whole crowd of friends. It wasn't that rare a thing for Rebecca to cause such consternation. She was an unusually strong-willed and spontaneous girl who also managed to secure far more freedom and attention than any of her peers. Quite simply, everyone liked her, and consequently, she got away with far more than she should have. And she knew it. Today, though, was different. Everyone could tell that. And one was quicker than the rest to gauge just how different things were. Rebecca's father, Bethuel, had died, and the leadership of the household had passed to the eldest son, Laban, with some help from his brother, who had also taken his father's name. Laban, although young, was worthy of the role. If Abraham could have seen him, he would have immediately recalled his brother and Laban's grandfather, Nahor. He was rational, pragmatic and straightforward. What he lacked in intuition and sensitivity, he more than compensated for in common sense. The first thing Laban noticed when the girls burst through the gate were the bracelets and nose ring Rebecca was wearing. And this was enough to persuade him that something of significance was afoot. Sensibly, he didn't do what others attempted, and that is to gain silence by shouting louder than anyone else. Instead, he drew Rebecca to one side, gathered as much as he could about the stranger and what he had to say, and then hurried out to meet the man at the spring. Laban found Eliezer standing by the camels a short distance from the spring's and was immediately impressed. If this was actually his great-uncle's servant, his great-uncle was even wealthier than the family tales suggested, and as far as Laban was concerned, that was all that mattered. Well, then the fact that his sister had left the man standing by his camels while she ran off hysterically. Some apologies were called for, (laughs) and Laban had no problem offering them. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord. He had remembered something told of his great-uncle and his beliefs. His own personal view of deity was rather more utilitarian. Belief was important, as of God could be too. Uh, But in matters of religion, however, as with all things, moderation was called for. Laban realised this policy may limit potential benefits, but equally 
it limited potential disadvantages too. He didn't want to tie himself into any one deity and thereby alienate the others and their followers. So if this servant of his great uncle worshipped his great uncle's god, he would happily acknowledge this god too. However, a closer inspection of his home would would reveal that he did have backups. Why, Why are you standing out here? The look of concern, even shock, was obvious and almost sincere. The continued inspection and evaluation of the caravan was more subtle, but probably also more real. I have prepared the house and and a place for the camels. Eliezer had missed the unintended emphasis on the word camels. He had, though, heard the man talk of the blessing of the Lord, and he knew it was true. Now he simply wanted to complete the task which his master, and evidently his God, had given him. He therefore didn't waste time on responses. Instead, he he simply went to the house and ordered the servants to unload, feed and water the camels before washing themselves and preparing the goods he'd brought for this very occasion. The guests set to the task and the household was equally busy. The latter were focused on food. Partly this was because of their own needs, but mainly because it was the custom to serve guests in this way, particularly those who came with ten camels and gave out bracelets and nose rings at the spring. What was still edible from the delayed dinner had been supplemented by more which had been hurriedly gathered and prepared for the extra guests, and the result was quite adequate for the occasion and very impressive given the circumstances. All this, though, was wasted on Eliezer. His personal wash was rapid, hands and feet only. He was focused and couldn't wait to be about his master's business. He could hardly fail to notice the food placed before him, and after such a day as this, couldn't deny his hunger either, but nor could he permit himself to indulge. He he was flustered and his words came out all wrong. I, I will not eat until I've told you what I have to say. Fortunately, Laban was able to see beyond the immediate need to the long-term benefit and was similarly less interested in the food than in what Eliezer had to say. Consequently, he sought to comfort the man's agitation and gave him the permission he requested to delay the food for the second time that evening. Then, Talus he said in a manner which reassuringly suggested time was incidental and dinner could wait. Eliezer was reassured and started to tell his story. I, I am Abraham's servant, he began, and then aware of the attention all gave him, he grew in confidence and told his story in detail. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle and silver and gold, men servants and maidservants and camels and donkeys. Eliezer looked around and saw how the household was gripped. The details of his master's wealth had them spellbound, and he warmed to his task. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age. Some were already beginning to sense where this was leading. Family wealth, 
and a son were a wonderful combination. He was enjoying this and (laughs) couldn't resist emphasising the next detail. And he has given his son everything he owns. For the first time, the silence was broken, but not by words. Rather, there was involuntary and excited fidgeting. Eliezer was excited too. He couldn't wait to see the reaction to his next nugget of information. And my master made me swear an oath and said, you must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of Kea, the Canaanites in whose land I live. He'd said the magic word, wife. Laban managed to keep his cool and nod apparently objectively in agreement with his great-uncle's wisdom. Eliezer, though, suspected things were hotting up a little beneath the cool exterior, and he wondered if the next sentence would be the telling one. But go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Laban's face broke. It only cracked a fraction to reveal on the one hand the most subtle of smiles, but on the other so much more. Others were not so reserved. Gasps and chatter broke the silence and, and attention and Eliezer needed to pause while Laban restored order and invited him to continue. Then I asked my mother, but what if the woman will not come back with me? It was now time to test the faith of the household. Eliezer had been impressed with the greeting Laban had offered him, but could recognise the difference between form and faith. He would now ask more of this family than mere form. He replied, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angels with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and for my own father's family. The mention of the Lord produced little reaction. And Eliezer guessed this was a family who feared God but didn't really know him, at least not in the way his master did. Not that that worried Eliezer over much. To find a family who knew the Lord in the way his master did would probably turn out to be an endless and fruitless quest. It was probably enough. It see. Then when you go to my clan, you will be released from my oath, even if they refuse to give her to you. He watched their response carefully. You will be released from my oath. Again, what he saw pleased him. Bethuel in particular was agitated and had made to respond, but Laban motioned to silence him. It was evident enough that the good folk of Nahor didn't want him released from his oath. (laughs) So now it was time to get more specific. When I came to the spring today, I said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I've come. See, I'm standing beside this spring. Now, if a maiden comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar... From the corner of his eye, Eliezer could see Rebecca standing a discreet distance away with the women and he could see realisation spread across her face. It was a sight to behold. And despite the urgency of the task, Eliezer couldn't resist slowing the monologue to exaggerate the moment. And if she says to me, drink, 
And I'll draw water for your camels too. Those who'd been with Rebecca were now looking at her, but she wasn't returning their gaze. She just stood transfixed. It was a beautiful look. She was a beautiful girl. She was the one. And it was time to declare it. Let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. The poor girl's world had been turned upside down. What Rebecca had meant simply as an act of kindness had unbeknown to her changed her life forever and she was struggling to come to terms with this, as indeed were her friends. Her wider family, though, were still largely unaware of the details of what had happened. Their questioning of the girl's achievement revolved around the gifts and the strangers, not incidental events such as the watering of camels. Now it was their turn to be introduced to the purposes of God. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. He paused very briefly, but long enough for even the slowest to grasp what was to come. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. He recalled it fondly, like a distant memory, not a recent event of earlier that evening. He couldn't help going into the detail. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink and I'll water your camels too. So I drank and she watered the camels also. Eliezer was aware the focus of his, the attention of his audience was shifting from him to the girl. But he didn't begrudge her this and knew in any case, wherever the eyes were focused, the ears were still very much on him. He continued, I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms and I bowed down and worshipped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. And now it was the time for his question, the climax of his quest. So now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn. For a while they were silent. It was though a strange silence. Everyone wanted to say something, but all knew they were only too authorised to do so. One leant over and consulted the other, who lay at the table next to him. The deliberation would take place there and then, and Eliezer took that as a good sign. It meant the decision, whether positive or negative, was pretty clear to both. And Eliezer was so confident that the Lord was in it, he couldn't believe the response could be negative. And it wasn't. In fact, it was the most positive Eliezer could have hoped for. Laban answered and surprised himself as much as those who heard him by what he said. This is from the Lord. It was. Laban couldn't deny it. He just wasn't used to stating it. But what else could he say? We can say nothing to you one way or the other. And that was it. He really could say no more. 
So his brother Bethuel took over and motioned to his sister to come and stand before them. There was a strange formality, even ritual about it. Here, here is Rebecca. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed. And that was that. Eliezer for a moment was bemused by the immediacy of the response and then as the realisation of it all hit him he was overwhelmed with relief and gratitude. For the second time that evening he bowed down before those who had given him what he wanted but directed his thanks to another. Once, though praise had been given where praise was due, he was hardly ungenerous to those who'd granted his request. He'd come prepared for this moment, and for many present that evening, this was the moment they would remember most. The camel packs had been carefully prepared, so when unloaded they could be most easily and impressively distributed, the presents were first for Rebecca, and were designed to reassure any doubt the girl may have, and although Eliezer saw this was hardly necessary, he still went ahead with the presentation of the dowry, gold, silver, and the most ornate of clothing. Then there was the matter of the wider family. Eliezer was aware that a decision made one evening when slept upon and reviewed in the cold light of the following morning could look very different. He would leave nothing to such a chance. He was aware of the hopes and expectations of some. He had, after all, fed and encouraged them. Now he would not disappoint them. Both brothers and mother would receive costly gifts, and Laban in particular would from now on need to increase his daily supply of straw and fodder. After all this, a third dinner <laughs> needed to be prepared for the guests, who by now were ready to eat anything, however overcooked. They ate, drank and slept well. It had been a good day. And tomorrow, Eliezer knew, would be a big one too. It was only as the day dawned that others realised what Eliezer had anticipated. He could tell it as soon as the household gathered and he knew he must keep his resolve however hard it may be. He understood and sympathised but knew it wouldn't get any easier for them the longer they delayed the inevitable. If anything it would get harder. He needed to be firm and keep things as matter of fact as possible so he took Laban to one side and said uh, send me on my way to my master. Laban's interest, of course, wasn't in Eliezer. He'd come the previous evening from nowhere and could disappear just as easily. Nor actually was it for Rebecca, although he would be losing a, a dearly loved sister. His problem was his mother. It was hard for the widow to lose her daughter. Everything had happened so quickly and and for all the excitement of the night before, now it was the morning after and the realities came home to her just as Eliezer had anticipated. It was left to Laban to make the plea, albeit backed up by the sobs of the mother. Let the girl remain with us for ten days or so, and then you may go. Just momentarily, Eliezer wavered. It wasn't an une unreasonable request, and the, the sight of the mother w was a pitiful one. 
Then again, a short delay wouldn't make too much difference to him and maybe it would be a help to her. But deep down he knew it wouldn't. Do not detain me now the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. He knew he must be appearing harsh. He was refusing to be led into an emotional tussle over the family's farewells to Rebecca, but instead was focusing the attention on himself, his master, and ultimately the Lord. Must have seemed cruel in many ways. But ultimately he was trying to be kind. He wanted to tell them so. He didn't like appearing so self-absorbed. Oh, but he couldn't. It wouldn't have helped in, in any case... Events took a different and very unexpected course. Laban had conferred with his mother and now responded on her behalf as well as his. Let's call the girl and ask her about it. And before Eliezer could respond, they called her over and asked her, Will you go with this man? Through years of service, Eliezer thought he'd seen it all. And where things still surprised him, at least until the previous evening, he was experienced enough to hide any look of shock or confusion. Right then, though, anyone who was looking would have detected the slightest reddening of his cheeks, twitchiness of his neck muscles, and flittering of his eyelids. It was all very slight, but a giveaway outward sign that once more... Inwardly, Eliezer wasn't in control. Eliezer's lack of inward control was due in no small part to his loss of outward control. He just hadn't anticipated this course of events. Nor should he have done so. He just wasn't used to girls making decisions like this, not even about their own lives. For a moment he wondered what sort of woman he might be about to bring back to his master and what chaos she might cause there. And for the briefest of moments, he hoped she would say she didn't want to go. But it was only for the briefest of moments because Rebecca's response was almost instantaneous. I will go, she said, and directed at her brother a look of seriousness which suggested to all it was a decision based upon careful thought and due deliberation. It was, though, immediately followed by the briefest of smiles thrown Eliezer's way, which might have cast some doubt in the minds of the more discerning if it hadn't been so rapidly followed by a third, all-consuming response. This one was for her mother and was the most demonstrative. She fell into her mother's arms and wept. There were tears which spoke of love, appreciation, loss, sadness and regret. And yet at the same time hope, destiny, duty and excitement. Her mother responded with tears of love, pride and excitement. And as the tears flowed back and forth, those looking on were captivated and entranced especially Eliezer, who no longer doubted at all. This was an extraordinary girl.
You're listening to the Patriarch Podcast. For more information, you can go to BibleNovels.com where you can become a Patreon supporter to support Overseas Mission.